Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of the Hockey News. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat, and the Pittsburgh Penguins ended their first win streak of the season yesterday as they lost 6-3 to the Detroit Red Wings, falling to 2-2 on the season. It was an uneven performance for the Pittsburgh Penguins because there were times where they looked like world beaters and there were times that they just got absolutely beat by the young Detroit Red Wings. So we're going to talk about that game a lot in this one, first and second segment devoted to that one. And then in the third segment, we got to talk about the Penguins first round pick this year because he is absolutely torching the WHL with the Moose Jaw Warriors. We'll talk a little Braden Yeager to close out this show, but let's start with that uneven performance against the Detroit Red Wings. The top players continue to carry the load, especially on the offensive side of the puck. Malkin and Smith combine on a goal 53 seconds in, and their connection continues to grow, continues to be impressive early in the season. Eric Carlson puts up three points in this one, one goal and two assists for his trouble. He really led the Penguins late in this game, just trying to pull them back even with the Red Wings. Rust picks up his fourth goal of the season. Crosby tallies another point. Overall, the top six, once again, looked pretty good for the most part in this one, didn't it, Horwat? Yeah, it's the, it's been the way of the season so far. The top, the top six is carrying everything they can, and whenever they're faltering, the bottom six is not around to uh, contribute on their end. I, I, know, I know Mike Sullivan preached patience on it. I know we have preached patience on it. I know we have discussed that. Uh, scoring is not their forte and it's not what they're here to do but uh i didn't realize that the bob grove tweet uh heading into the game uh the bottom six hasn't gone that long and that long of a stretch three games into a season without scoring that hasn't happened since 2008 2009 i didn't realize it had been that long so suddenly uh, i'm changing all of my thoughts on the bottom six and saying you guys gotta contribute and it's not just because you know you're because you need to build offense, but just because you're supposed to chip in every now and again, and also it's the expectation of you. I didn't realize three games was, you know, I I don't know what exactly to put it, the record or like the, the last time, um, and now it's at four, and we, I don't know what the fourth, how long it's been since they've done it four games in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be interested to see how far back that goes, uh, but that just shows that 
this bottom six is off to a historically not great start, uh, and the top six is forced to carry the load. And we said this, you know, a bunch last year. They can't do that 82 games. They're going to do it for quite a few. Don't get us wrong, but they can't do it for all of them. Um, and for what it's worth, Evgeny Malkin showing ESPN what's up is awesome. <laughs> yes, yeah, certainly 53 seconds after that uh, that bogus list that ESPN put out about the top 100 players heading into this season, leaving, leaving Evgeny Malkin out of it in case you didn't see that. Uh, Malkin, 53 seconds in, just basically said, all right, screw you. I mean, I was the third star of the week in the first week. I had 83 points last season, but that's fine. You, you can go ahead and put 100 other people above me in the NHL. That's Seth Jones in it, the top 60, no less. Yeah, it, it's... You know, it's ESPN. I'm starting to expect no less from them and their hockey coverage. They also got rid of, uh, what was it, In the Crease, which was their highlight show. So they're really devoting no resources to, to the NHL. Expect nothing less from the worldwide leader in two sports, NH- or NFL and, and basketball, NBA. Uh, other than that, they, they don't cover anything. I know. So, I had to watch uh, the, I had to watch the uh, rest of the playoff game last night for, in MLB, the uh, Astros and Rangers. I had to watch it on TBS. That's not even on ESPN right now. No, but it is on uh, It is on Max, which is how I watched the Penguins game last night. I yep, appreciate that's, I that. I switched right over. I did that same thing. <laughs> but uh, let's let's get back to the game here. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the team's performance as a whole on the evening? Because like like we mentioned, I mean, it was uneven from from the beginning. They were really good for, for a handful of shifts, scoring 53 seconds in, obviously. Then one bad power play opportunity for the Penguins. And from there, for the next 30-plus minutes, the Penguins were just on their back foot, back foot, flat-footed entirely, and they just kind of disappeared for 30-plus minutes of this game. Yeah, and that's just not how you want to see it happen. I don't... It just... Overall, I'm not going to say it was a great game, just because, yeah, that third period is... That was good. Well, That's what we really wanted to see, especially from Eric Carlson coming up and finally really staking his claim with this team, and he's here. He's going to produce pretty well offensively. That was a great goal. Um... I didn't realize he had two assists, so that's even better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not going to be looked at as a great game because of that whole middle portion, and also because you couldn't capitalize on the momentum gained with the scoring in the first minute. Um, those are the ty- types of things that were big downfalls of the team last season, just not being able to produce offensively after gaining a lead, as small as it may have been. Um, it's like they couldn't handle it. That you know, I don't want to say blown power play opportunity, but that lost power play opportunity um, just tripped them up, and they were never able to regain their footing until it was too late. How many times have we said that? That's kind of the impression I got from that game. It is still it is still too early in the season to actually panic on this team. Yeah, but you know, you don't want this. You just don't want the same the same discussion we had after game one. You don't want the same sort of downfalls from last season rearing their ugly faces again. Not that this one is as obvious, but there is still a little bit of a how many times have we put on the late push and it's just not enough because Villahuso is a good goalie. Um, and it's not like the Detroit Red Wings, Red Wings are a bad team. I don't think mm-hmm. they'll make the playoffs this year, but they're no slouch anymore. And, you know, a lot of people are high on them. I get that, but those are still teams you have to beat. You know, the Blackhawks, you have to beat. You did beat the. Capitals, good. You did beat the Flames, who might be better this year, good. But you also still have to beat the Red Wings because they're still a beatable team. And you got tough competition coming up. 
Yeah, I mean, the Atlantic Division, there's a lot of hope for a lot of teams in that division heading into this year. Obviously, you have the hierarchy of the top four that have always been up there, at least seemingly, for the past handful of seasons in Florida, Toronto, Tampa, and Boston. And then you have these young teams, these Ottawa Senators teams, these Buffalo Sabres teams, these Detroit Red Wings teams that are all on the ascension. They're all young teams with a lot of star potential and a lot of star players. And you saw that last night with Alex Dabrinkit just absolutely torching the Penguins on multiple occasions in that one, picking up multiple goals. He has five goals in four games since joining the Detroit Red Wings. That's a good team. And you mentioned it. Billy Huso, he was the reason they won that game at the end of the day because they capitalize on the Pittsburgh Penguins not playing well in the second period. They put up a three spot in the second, going up four to one heading into the third period. And that's when the Penguins turned it on. And here's the thing. The Penguins in the third period, they looked amazing. Like Mm -hmm. you couldn't ask for much more from the Pittsburgh Penguins as an entire team in that third period. The only problem was you entered the third period down three to three goals. It's going to be a hard lead to come back from it's going to be a hard lead to a race and the penguins they nearly did it i'm not going to say they performed in a way that wasn't able to do it because they they should have honestly there were a couple of times that Ville Husso made absolutely phenomenal saves and the penguins probably at the end of the day should have won that game after what happened in the third period but you just can't disappear for entire periods i, I mean I, d- I said 30 minutes but mainly because They didn't play well in the last 10 minutes of the first period. They didn't show up at all in the second period. And once the second intermission hit, I don't know what happened in that room, but they came out, they out-chanced the Detroit Red Wings 13-1 to in the third period. They had 25 shot attempts for six shot attempts allowed in that third period and controlled 83% of the expected goals. And that's all according to natural stature. I mean, they played extremely well in the third period. The only problem with that third period to me was... It was, again, the same exact players. It was Mm -hmm. the top six. The bottom six, the third line barely got any ice time, and we'll talk about it in the second segment. The third line was switched around in that game. The fourth line, the third line was so bad that the fourth line was the one that was put out there with two and a half minutes left because Crosby's line couldn't go, Malkin's line couldn't go. So it's Jeff Carter, Jansen Harkins, and... Uh, Nola Chari that are out there with two and a half minutes and that line lost all the momentum and for the first time in that period it seemed like they were in their own zone for a shift you can't have that you need to continue to keep sustained pressure you can't give them any room to breathe especially when you're trying to erase a four to one deficit and at that point it was four to three you were so close to getting that fourth goal tying it up and I said it last night on the iceberg recap if they would have tied that game up I have a hard time believing they would have lost that game in overtime you never know what could have happened but at the same time the momentum was just all in the Penguins favor it was a really stellar third period probably the best period of hockey that they've played but it goes by the wayside because you come away with it with no points and at the end of the day it's a 60 minute game for a reason you can't just play 20 minutes like that and expect to win yeah I, I pulled up the shift chart here for that final period and uh, between that third line of Drew O'Connor, Lars Eller played a decent amount of time because he's going to do that. He's you know here to bring the offense from that bottom six. He just hasn't done it yet. He hasn't um, done anything yet, personally. Uh, well, we can get to that in the second segment, but yeah. Exactly. But then you look at Jansen Harkins, who played four shifts. Uh, three of them were just a couple of seconds long, it looks like. And his last one came... Uh, well before the uh, that third goal was scored, so he didn't see the ice for a fair bit. Looks like about eight minutes uh, left in the game. 
Uh, and Drew O'Connor had also f- just four shifts, but three of the, but only three of them came uh, before the empty netters. He was out there after the second empty netter, uh, after the second empty net goal to just kind of close it out. You know those sort of situations where you give up two empty net goals. By the way, that one was offsides. Sorry, it was, uh, but yeah. we don't need to dwell on that. Um, so essentially, he had three shifts. He had three shifts of importance. So, mm-hmm. and I don't know what it means that. That line is getting, you know, put in the dog in the doghouse, but the fourth line is still getting trotted out because they haven't looked much better. You know, I mean, yeah. when you're a fan, what what breeds more confidence? The line of Drew O'Connor and Lars Eller, especially given, considering the camp that they had in the preseason they had, or Matt Nieto, Nolachari, and Jeff Carter. I mean, I know which line I'm saying, and I get that Matt Nieto and uh, Noel Chari or new faces they might be able to do something and Jeff Carter's had a couple of breaks but nothing's going in for any of these guys all six of them yeah I would say last night I do agree with that though because Jansen Harkins I mean Jansen Harkins we'll talk about in the second segment yeah. I'm not sure how much longer his leash is but Drew O'Connor and Lars Eller haven't been much better this season and while yes on paper I look at those names at the third and the fourth line and you'd prefer to have the third line out there especially if you watched the preseason and saw Drew O'Connor put up four goals and Lars Eller looked mm-hmm. pretty good in a lot of the preseason games but if you watched last night that third line that third line gave you nothing at least in the fourth line I thought Matt Nieto put together a half decent game I thought that he was noticeable in positive ways throughout the night, and I thought Jeff Carter had multiple opportunities, so when you look at it that way, yeah, it makes sense that Mike Sullivan would send that line over the boards because Harkins and Eller and O'Connor haven't showed anything through three and a half games up to that point, and at least you've gotten a heartbeat in some instances with the fourth line. Not that it's an ideal situation. You never want to have to rely on your fourth line over your third line for offense. It's just not how it works. It's not how it should work, at least, but you know, last night, Jeff Carter had a couple opportunities. I thought Matt Nieto had one opportunity. You know, Nola Chari has kind of just been floating around the offensive zone. He's not the guy that kind of puts the puck in the back of the net. He's more of a, a net front presence for that line. So I agree with that decision last night, personally. And I, I don't want to parcel out every decision that Mike Sullivan made. But, you know, I agreed with that last night in, in the essence of, your top two lines needed a break. They played the entire third period up to that point. They erased a three-goal deficit and made it a one-goal deficit. You needed somebody to go out there, and Eller and O'Connor were not providing very much, and at least you saw something from Jeff Carter, although his shooting percentage at this point might be a negative considering the opportunities he's had in the last two games and not been able to to contribute. Uh, it, it helps when you hit the net, at least, which he did uh, last yeah. night. Which I really, I thought he had that one for a split second. Uh, it was that the it was a move that goal? works. Yeah, it was yeah. a move that he, works. He, but so close, so close. And again, like we said, Billy Huso is a good goalie. You know, you yeah, got and two... he, he was last night certainly. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's a huge boost to the Red Wings. And just if you're the Penguins on that end, you have to try and just keep finding those ways. He looked, mm-hmm. Villahuso looked calm and very collected in that in the net. That one shot that he saved on um, Carlson, it was after Carlson had scored and he had another great opportunity. He looked like he did that with ease. Just, mm-hmm. it, there was something special about that save for him. But as for the Penguins, I mean, this is a, it was a tough look overall. You And it's, like, like we said, it sucks that you can't, have scoring confidence in your bottom six lines that that's 
that was the bread and butter of the Penguins' success for so long is that ability to roll four lines. The ability to roll four lines, how many times have you heard that? We can't do that now. They haven't been, they, they weren't able to do it last year, and so far they're not able to do it this year. Um, like I mentioned, I didn't realize three games was the stretch to, to, to over 10 years ago, 15 years ago almost. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that was the he mentioned that was the 2008-2009 season. That was the year Tyler Kennedy scored in the opener, but Tyler Kennedy was the second liner. Uh shout out to Bob Grove. I love those stats. And also shout out to Mike Zigamanis who ended that oh, one. Yeah. <laughs> uh we, we talked about on Tuesday who's going to end it for the Pittsburgh Penguins. There were a couple times last night I thought it was, I was going to be able to take a victory lap with Jeff Carter, but uh at this point it doesn't seem like finishing ability is in his uh is in his toolbox. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, let's talk a little bit more about the bottom six. Sullivan played with the lines a little bit. Is that something we're going to see carry over to game number 5 or is it something that he was just trying to spark? We'll talk about that after the break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by Inside the Penguins. Uh, again, shout out to Bob Grove for all his uh, stats and nuggets that he throws out there on X before every Pittsburgh Penguins game. Uh, the next one that I kind of want to see is how many games into a season have the Penguins gone where they run the same exact lineup? Because it doesn't happen very often. The Penguins, obviously, historically deal with injuries a decent amount, but four games into the season, they have trotted out at least the starting lineup, the same exact 12 forwards, six defensemen, and the goaltenders have switched, but they've used the same two goaltenders Mm -hmm. for the first four games. Whether or not that will persist on Saturday in St. Louis is another question because about midway through this game, Mike Sullivan took out those dice. He, He blew off the dust of those dice, and he said for the first time this season... Let's switch how we're doing things around here. We talked about it a little bit in the first segment. It was the first on-ice sign that Sullivan's starting to get a little discontent with the Pittsburgh Penguins' bottom six. He dropped Jansen Harkins to the fourth line, promoted Matt Nieto to the third line. As you mentioned in the first segment, Horwat, he even had Matt Nieto playing fourth line and third line, double-shifting him a couple times in that third period. He played the fourth line over the third line late in the game, down one. We talked about that a little bit. Saw that a lot last year. Never a good sign if you're doing that because that means you have absolutely no faith in your third line to, one, produce any offense, and to, two, keep the momentum and stay out of your defensive zone. I know the fourth line didn't stay out of the defensive zone, but at least they had produced a little bit of offense and a little bit of opportunity in that game. I want to specifically talk about Jansen Harkins. We talked about him on Tuesday. Beating a dead horse here at this point, it almost feels like, but we talked about how short his leash could be through the first three games because he hadn't shown much. Feels like it got considerably shorter last night, and he just doesn't look like an NHL caliber player to this point. How how long do you think? Like, Did it change from Tuesday to, to Thursday now after seeing that on Wednesday? Did, did, did your opinion on Jansen Harkin's leash change at all? I... I don't even remember what I said on Tuesday, but I can at least tell you in my head I I had not been the biggest fan of Jansen Harkins. I don't want to say since he got here. He earned a spot, definitely. Uh, But everything we've seen since then has not been proper. (laughs) It has not been worthy of a spot in this team. 
it, which sucks. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not fun. He's He came in late and did earn his spot. But now we have to wonder, okay, well, Cal Dubas built up this depth, right? Built up this forward depth that, um, you know, the bottom six needed to be uh, mended a lot. And he did. And Kyle Dubas did come in and do a good job in adding names and adding some substance there. Uh, and now with the iteration that we have, these six guys were four games in and they haven't scored a goal. One assist between the six of them. Um, I don't know how, how long or short this leash is. Patience is running thin with the fan base, that's for sure. Kyle Dubas <laughs> did kind of hint at, during that uh, first intermission interview with TNT, hint at he, he's not done. That something specifically with the bottom six, could be changing. Uh, and he said he's taking it upon himself. So we'll see where that goes. Um, I'd expect of this of these six guys, Jansen Harkins to be the first plug to get pulled just because of his status as the last entrant. Um, the easiest to maneuver, probably. And then uh, who's... who's well, I can't wait to find out who the first man up is. Especially yeah. considering we don't have a scratched forward right now. I'm really excited to see who the first man up is because, again, there are so many options down there. And uh, with with that trade that happened that we haven't even discussed, um, the uh, Jack Rathbone trade, there is the possibility because of the way the AHL works with the rules. I know we were DMing about this. Uh, he can't play all of his quote-unquote veterans down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are too many. There, he has to scratch a bunch of them. Now, he's probably... I mean, there's probably some some readiness to just scratch these guys. But you want to play every player you have. You want to keep them on the ice. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see more moves happen at the AHL level. But also, maybe that's kind of what forces other names to be called up. We'll see how things go. I'm really curious to see who that next man up is. And to see if that rule has an effect on who gets that first call-up. But I think Harkins' leash is short. At least it really should be getting yanked as we speak. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly getting a little bit shorter as we yeah, as we speak. Every time it seems like he goes out there onto the ice, it gets shorter and shorter. But he's not the only problem on that line. No, not at all. That's the worst part. You know, It'd be different if it was obvious that, oh, every time that they get any momentum, they give it to Jansen Harkins, he loses control of the puck, and it's, it's gone. And, and there goes all of your momentum. But... Lars Eller has shown next to nothing. Drew O'Connor has been pretty dormant throughout this season, too. Um, I think O'Connor at least has shown some forechecking capabilities uh, and some willingness to go in there and do the dirty work, but Lars Eller does not look like a a third-line center at the National Hockey League level at this stage of the season. Now, will that change? Potentially. It's been four games. It's, in the end of the day, 5% of an NHL season. There's still 95% to go. He could turn it around. He could have better games. But it's not all on Jansen Harkins. But like you mentioned, that is the easiest plug the pool. That is the one guy that if you're going to put somebody on waivers, because if you're going to make any changes, somebody has to go on waivers. The Penguins don't have the, the salary cap space to just pull somebody up from the minors. And everybody at the NHL level has to be placed on waivers before getting reassigned down to Wilkes-Barre. So somebody has to go on waivers if they're going to make a change. So keep an eye out at 2 o'clock today, maybe. You know, if Kyle Dubas was hinting at it that he was going to do something immediately, that would start at 2 o'clock today with somebody being placed on waivers. I don't know if that's what he's going to do. I don't know if the leash is that short on Jansen Harkins in the third line. But 
I do think that the line in its entirety has not performed well to this point of the season. I don't I don't want to I don't want to put it all on Harkins because while he hasn't been good, neither has Eller and neither has O'Connor. Right. And the thing about uh the waiver wire, I believe Harkins has that 30 days free time anyway. Uh, if I'm not no, mistaken. you have to clear. You have to clear waivers. He has to clear, clear again. He has oh, to clear again. Oh, because he yeah. didn't get cleared. That's right. Yeah, he he has to be put on waivers once again. If the only the only way that he can go to the uh, the AHL without having to clear waivers would be if he was placed on waivers by the Penguins, and the only team to claim him was the Winnipeg Jets. Then okay. they could put him. They could send him through waivers to the to the AHL. Okay. Well then. Or, past waivers not he doesn't have to go through them but yeah he he does need clear waivers well and you know what and i don't i don't mean to sound you know really off-putting and rude here but you picked him up for nothing if you lose him for nothing so be it uh <laughs> but again like that's just because we have so many guys that also because i because of that waiver thing i just mentioned have that freedom you can yes. utilize that a little bit more with a bunch of other names so again thank you for, maybe it is a thank you for your service mr harkins if he clears waivers, he clears waivers, and we have him in the minor league system. There ain't nothing wrong with that. I think he, I don't know his uh, games played count. He might not even count toward that weird rule. Uh, things I need to look into. But like I just said, it's a little you know a little rude to say, but he comes in. He isn't great. You you brought him in for nothing. You can drop him down for nothing if you lose him. It's no big deal, at least in my head. Um, mm-hmm. And we the Penguins have all those names. Vinny Henestrosa, if you want to pull up Andreas Janssen, you can pull up Andreas Janssen. Um, Redeem Zahorna, uh, Alex Nylander. You have all those names that you can just bring up, send back, bring up, send back, as much as you want for about another 15 days. Um, so the, the options are there. The opportunities are there. Mm-hmm. The Penguins have guys in the system that they like a lot. Uh, Kyle Dubas said he expects Alex Nylander to be a regular NHLer by this by the end of the season. Started mm-hmm. early. Uh, this bottom six needs an offensive punch, man. <laughs> like it, it does. It it does. One two hundred and six. Sorry, I'm doing some math here. Yeah. Uh, three hundred and six, three hundred and sixty some. So yes, technically Jansen Harkins would be considered a veteran player at the AHL Ooh. level. So uh, the Penguins currently have six at the AHL level. The rule is a veteran uh, to be a veteran level at the AHL. You have to have played more than 321 or professional games, including the National Hockey League, American Hockey League, and European Elite League. Uh, Jansen Harkins has about 360 because he's played uh, a little over 200 at the AHL level, and he's played 158 at the NHL level. So uh, he would be considered a, a veteran player. So if you send him down and bring another veteran player up, you're still in the same situation with eight, and you can only play six at a time at Wilkes-Barre. Hey, you know what? We're gonna have to. That's a rule we're gonna have to keep an eye on because, uh, we as much as we enjoyed what Kyle Dubas did this offseason and bringing in all these you know names that have NHL experience, uh, we did we did all that enjoyment without realizing there's a rule like that in the AHL. Uh, yeah. Maybe I, I that sounded familiar. The second I saw someone tweet about it, it had sounded familiar. I just mm-hmm. totally forgot about it. Well, the Penguins have gone young for so many years at the AHL level that it has not been an issue. Yeah, it, it had been young and inexperienced. Not even just young, it had been young, young and inexperienced, guys. Um, <clears throat> but, hey, you know what? It, things we learn as we go along here, and regardless, it should the, 
the AHL team should still be really good. Oh, also, Colin White's there. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are so many yeah. names and options down there that the Penguins, I, I said this before, I said the offense thing all season. The bottom six is improved, yes, defensively. But for the love of God, it is time to, and now that we're four games in and they haven't scored, find an offensive punch down there. Screw the defensive game for... If you need one person who can score down there and doesn't play defense, so be it. Your defense has looked actually kind of decent, except for the one line we'll get to. Um, Your defense has looked good this year so far. Uh, The fourth line, for what it's worth, hasn't been scored on, really. Right? They went those first three games without taking a minus. The first three games they went, they I think they took a minus yesterday. Yeah, and that's bound to happen whenever you get hemmed in so often. But... They went the first three games without getting scored on. Throw throw an offensive juggernaut, maybe not a juggernaut, but throw an offensive name onto your third line. Just let it roll. Just let the scoring happen to the bottom six because it needs it. Um, and, you know, you have the options. You have a lot of options you're proud of. Utilize them. Yeah, I think Redeem Zahorna, in my eyes, would be the first call up there because I, I think he's showing a little bit of offensive punch, but also he's a big guy. Uh, he has a he has a good stick, and, and he's decent in the defensive zone, so you at least don't sacrifice too much in your own zone, but you do bring up a, a little bit more offense in Redeem Zahorna, somebody who I think is a little bit more polished at this point uh, than a Jansen Harkins. But let's talk a little bit about that third pairing. You mentioned that they did not have a good night last night. They, they did not. Uh, they, they were absolutely horrendous last night. That is uh, P.O. Joseph and Chad Ruedel. One of those two were on the ice for all four Red Wings goals, of course, ignoring the two empty net goals because, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, but they were on ice as a pairing for two of the four. The other ones, you know, Joseph was on the ice for a five-on-five goal where, where Ruedel wasn't. That's a horrible name to try to say on a continuous manner. Uh, and then Ruedel was on the ice for a, for a penalty kill goal allowed. So not a good game there. Uh, they were fine the first three games. I see a lot of people saying that they've been horrible all season long. They had, I mean, 70% of the expected goals through the first three games. It, it's not like Chad Ruedel is... The, the best third-pairing defenseman that you could ask for. He's not your Trevor Daly, uh, who the Penguins loved having on their third pairing during the cup runs. He's not, you know, Oli Mata was a third-pairing defenseman for the Pittsburgh Penguins on their cup runs. He's not either of those two guys. And P.O. Joseph is not yet a complete player on the blue line. He's not great in front of his own net. He does make mistakes from time to time still. So, yeah, they're bound to make mistakes. And... Yesterday they made a whole bunch of them, but uh, they have been fairly decent throughout uh, the majority of the season leading up to this this game. They just they uh, they certainly didn't look good last night, though. It was certainly a night to forget for both of them. Oh, for sure. I mean, you have to figure. First of all, you have to figure they're not going to be noticed as much because they are the third pairing behind Eric Carlson and Crystal Tang. Yeah. Who, by the way, combined for fifty one minutes, over fifty one minutes of ice time last night. Those two. Yeah, at least on the right side, Chad Ruido only has about nine minutes to play with, ten minutes mm-hmm. to play with a game, um, and it doesn't help that he played eight fifty nine last last night and was notched with a minus two. Yeah, Not and t- gave up a third goal on the penalty kill. Yeah, one that he probably could have prevented if uh, you watch the replay. That's the problem. It's not like they were just bystanders in this either. They were at the center yep. of the play in all of these goals. Yeah, so. That's an extremely tough look 
like I said, yeah. it's going to be tough for Chad Rui to find ice time and to find not- notoriety. It's, you know, you're going to go through times, especially because you're playing behind those two, where you're just not getting noticed. And that's just going to happen whenever there's so much to see during a hockey game. And like I said, Crystal Tang and Eric Carlson are combining for 50 of the 60 minutes. You know, yeah. you're not, that's just going to, that's just how it's going to happen. You're not going to get noticed. But when you are getting noticed, and we, we say this too when it comes to defensemen, the the name of your game is to not really be noticed, and it is to just play your position, you know, be stout defensively, at least in Chad Rudel's spot here, play stout defensively, don't allow goals, and don't look obvious. And he's looked obvious. Mm-hmm. So I can see where people say that you know, he's he hasn't looked great, and Mike, we asked about Jansen Harkins' leash. I asked you about this one. How long is Chad Ruweedles? Because let's just be honest, he he was a threat to not make the team uh, this year. You know, mm-hmm. before we sent away Mark Friedman, we had that option there. They experimented with Ty Smith on the right side for a hot minute, um, and now we're carrying around two guys who are yet to make <clears throat> their NHL debut, and Ryan Shea and John Ludwig, but. Could be seeing it pretty soon if uh, mm-hmm. if this keeps up or if they decide to pull the trigger now. I'd yeah. be interested to see what they can do in the NHL, especially John Ludwig. We've gotten like no looks from him, but I don't know if experimenting with it in the regular season is worth anything. Ryan Shea I'm interested in, though. Yeah, I'm not seriously considering the, the thought that he's going to lose his job. Do I think that maybe they'd sit him down for a game or two to see what they have in Ryan Shea at the NHL level? Yeah, I, yeah. I think they might experiment with that. They might you know, tinker with that a little bit. The interesting thing is both Ryan Shea and John Ludwig are lefties, uh, so they'd be on their off wing in that scenario with P.O. Joseph on that third pairing. So uh, interesting to see what they're able to do with that. Mark Friedman was, I think, the only real you know, righty that was at that level um, behind Mark Pesek, who again, out longer term is where is he at? When's he coming back? Is he on this roster? Is he going to get a contract? What's going on with Mark Pesek? Nobody, but Kyle Dubas and maybe Jason Spezza and maybe Amanda Kessel knows. But at the same exact time, uh, you look at Rue Weedle's performance last night. It's the antithesis of what you want. They said his name a lot on the broadcast last night. His name was thrown around Twitter a lot last night. Here's the thing. In an ideal scenario, the only time you hear the two words Chad and Ruweedle on a broadcast are by Dan Potash in the postgame. I thought Ruweedle had a pretty good game. That's the only time you want to hear his name. You don't want to hear it during the broadcast. You don't want to hear it during the intermission reports. You want to hear it after the game when they're talking about everybody on the team and they say, Third pairing, Chad Ruweedle. Yeah, he had a pretty good 9-10 minutes in this game. Really didn't notice him. Good. Good game. Move on to the next for Chad Ruweedle. But last night, uh, not only was his name said during the broadcast, it was said a lot. And, you know, we've, we've been hampering on Ruweedle. P.O. Joseph had a really bad game as well. Puck on his stick, puck off his stick positioning, and it was blocking up passing lanes. None of it was done well by P.O. Joseph last night. So... You're hoping that they're able to bounce back, and it is only one game, so you don't want to hammer them too hard, but that was just an absolutely probably worst night of a professional career type of game mm-hmm. uh, for both of these guys. Yeah, it, for P.O. Joseph, I, I think we all still kind of have our confidence in him. We are all still expecting more. We know he can be more. We saw it all last year. He can do better than that. You're going to get games that this happens. Every, all 20 names on this roster are going to have games like that. 
Mm-hmm. It just so happens that P.O. Josephs came at the same time that Chad Ruedel struggled. And I just always think that Chad Ruedel has a short leash just because he's always been the guy that pops into the lineup every so often and is mm-hmm. able to be taken out for 20 and come right back in as an injury replacement and be fine. So yeah. I'm almost expecting Chad Ruedel's spot to be played with a little bit coming up here. But you mentioned the right side of the defense. Uh, we don't have options on the right side. I mean, unless people play their off wing, which I think is expected. Which is expected, and that's been the that's been the name of the game for the Penguins. That, that you know, this whole past camp was guys playing on their off wings, guys playing center, guys playing both wings on forwards. All over the lineup, that has been um, pretty much expected. It has been definitely practiced and worked on. Uh, but if you needed a true right-hand shot defenseman to step in for uh, Chad Riedel, do you want to know who I would think the next guy up is? Taylor Fadoon? Yep. Yeah. Because we got rid of Mark Friedman. And that and you know what? The Mark Friedman thing, to me, strikes me more as a, we're still shedding us, and I mentioned this to you, we're still shedding ourselves from Ron Hextall. Not that yeah. we didn't like Mark Friedman, not that the fans didn't love Mark Friedman, not that he wasn't a great teammate or a good player. It's just we need the new era to really be here. And Mark Friedman was Hexall's first acquisition here. Yeah. It just it just kind of had to happen. I expected it to happen a little sooner, actually, than it did. But, mm. hey, you know what? It's here. Jack Rathbone could be a good, useful piece someday. Left shot, though. Yeah. We'll see if he can play his off wing, too. I, you know, I, I kind of – obviously, I don't think that – the fact that Friedman was a Hextall acquisition played into it. It certainly seems that way. I talked about it yesterday on, on Iceberg to Go that there's only 10 players remaining signed in the organization uh, that were originally brought in by Ron Hextall, whether that was drafted or signed or traded for. But, you know, I, I think it was more so about roster management, talking about the fact that, you know, you had that veteran status on Friedman, you don't on Jack Rathbone. Um, and stuff stuff more along that nature. I think it was more so that than worrying about, hey, you know, behind Mark, Chad Ruedel, Mark Friedman's the next right shot defenseman, especially, like you mentioned, in a camp where everybody was practicing on their off wing. So it, it's something that the Penguins almost hold as a prerequisite to be a, to be a member of their team is you have to be versatile. Because last year we saw there was not as much versatility as we'd seen and you know, Mike Sullivan had his hands tied in certain instances. Now, does Sullivan has have his hands tied in this instance? A little bit. You can't do anything with Jeff Carter. But at the same exact time, there's a little bit more flexibility when it comes to the roster construction that Kyle Dubas has brought in. Uh, and I think trading Mark Friedman uh, is just another sign of that to be able to try to get more guys in the lineup and not have to sit players simply because a lot of them have a lot of experience. But We're going to take a quick break. When we return, let's talk a little bit about the WHL Horwath, not the NHL, not the AHL, not even the ECHL. Actually, probably a higher quality league than the ECHL, but let's talk about the WHL coming up after this break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. That was about 35 minutes of uh, bashing on the bottom six again. I, I 
prefer to not do that. And it's still only four games into the season. So, I mean, at this point, it's probably a bad time to put this disclaimer out there. But don't overreact. Uh, it is four games in. Uh, react accordingly because there's still a lot of season to go. But uh, probably should have, you know, let off with that one. But, you know, you watch what you saw last night. And it's the same thing that you saw in game three, same thing you saw in game two, same thing you saw in game one. And that's all we do here is we call it the way we see it and we share our opinions. We are by no means thinking that we are, you know, the smartest people in the room because we understand that Kyle Dubas is usually that person. But let's talk a little bit about uh, somebody Kyle Dubas brought into the organization. Penguins 14th overall or the 14th overall selection for the Pittsburgh Penguins in this year's draft, had a solid first training camp with the Penguins. That's Braden Yeager, currently tearing up the WHL. The 18-year-old was reassigned to his WHL team, the Moose Jaw Warriors. Yeah, the Moose Jaw Warriors. After camp, he's been pretty good to start the season. Eight games so far, 15 points, seven goals, well on pace to shatter his previous career highs in the WHL. What did you think of Braden Yeager during camp. I know we talked about it a little bit when he was reassigned to the WHL. And what do you think now seeing how much success he's having uh, with Moose Shaw? He looks re- he looked really good in camp. <clears throat> you know, he looked right at home, especially as an 18-year-old. That's extremely impressive. Um, first time, you know, playing around some big professional hockey players. It didn't look out of place. He showed to have some skill. It all started with the... Um, prospect challenge in buffalo and it tailed into uh, the camp and some preseason games didn't look out of place one time i know we don't like the shootout i know fans don't like the shootout and again kuznetsov continues to drive that point home um mm-hmm. but brayden yeager scoring on the shootout against a it was aaron dell but against an nhl caliber if you will goalie that i mean that's something to really uh you know write home to and something to really keep an eye on and look forward to with Braden Yeager. And then he's only gone on to really drive home the fact that he's going to be a top prospect for this team um, mm-hmm. until he's ready to graduate to the NHL. I mean, that, that could be far sooner than we all expected. I don't know exactly mm-hmm. what his timeline is. I don't know what the organization thinks his timeline is. But he's looked really good so far. I mean, those in just eight games, 15 points, that speaks for itself, right? And not only that, but... At least Moose Jaw, and I don't know how the WHL works. He probably won't play penalty kill here. He's picked up a couple of shorthanded goals along the way. He's playing all yeah. areas of the ice down there for them. Um, mm-hmm. And it's been impressive to see that he looked really good at camp, looked really good around NHL players, and only looks better uh, heading back to play against his peers. Yeah, heading into the draft, the one thing that was said about Braden Yeager was that, yeah, he had a down season statistically in his draft year with Moose Jaw, but that was because he was focusing in on becoming a 200-foot player. He's focusing in on performing well in his own zone, being better, being more defensively responsible, being more complete as a player, and that's only going to lend itself to a quicker trajectory to the NHL because what's one thing that Mike Sullivan can't stand? A forward that does not care about the defensive zone. So the fact that he was doing that before he was even drafted by the Pittsburgh Penguins already probably puts him ahead of some of the prospects in the system, like maybe a Valtteri Pustin. And I'm not saying he's ahead of him now, but certainly the timetable is probably a lot quicker than a Valtteri Pustin. And also because of the fact that Pustin was a seventh rounder, Jaeger was a first rounder. So that obviously plays into it as well. But nice to see this year that he's trying to bring it all together. Not just, hey, my offensive numbers dip because I was playing more defense, but now seeing 
can you continue to play defense and get those offensive numbers back up on par? And like I mentioned, currently on pace to absolutely shatter all of his career highs at the WHL, on pace for over 100 points and on pace for over 60 goals. I think it's 68 goals is what he's on pace for because he has eight and seven or seven and eight or whatever it is. He's on pace for over 60 goals this season at WHL. It's impressive. So mm-hmm. Jaeger is quickly becoming the most anticipated prospect in the Pittsburgh Penguins system in years. Yeah. My question to you is, when is the last time there's been this much hope about a prospect for the Pittsburgh Penguins? Honestly, that's it's so that's so extremely hard to really say because there I hasn't mean, been a lot of hope. <laughs> there hasn't been a lot of hope in recent memory. Uh, and then... You know, you think back, okay, you're going to... Sidney Crosby's the easy, furthest back you could go, right? That's just... That was the obvious... Maybe even Evgeny Malkin, because he didn't play Crosby's rookie season. He was drafted the year before, but maybe if, even Evgeny Malkin. But you think of all the years after that. I mean, Jake Gensel and Brian Russ were a couple of good prospects, but unless unless I just wasn't paying attention, which is very possible, I don't know how highly touted they were being looked at, um, you know, within the organization. It seemed like there was a good buzz around Gensel and Andy Camp and scored twice. That's a good start. Matt Murray comes to mind for some reason. Because um, mm-hmm. he had that phenomenal season uh, at the AHL level uh, and then was in the middle of following it up and then got caught up and helped the team win a cup in 2016. Um, those names come to mind right away, but there's something different about this that says... This dude could really lead the team uh, in more ways than one. It's hard to come up with an answer, so I'm going to say this is probably the most highly touted prospect and most anticipated prospect. I'll throw Murray out there because there really was something special about what he was doing Mm -hmm. uh, at the AHL level. Yeah, even Tristan Jari, before he was called up, was performing really well at the AHL. And when I look at this and when I'm thinking about this, yes, those guys, once they got to the end of their progression, once they were right in the AHL and performing well in the AHL level, people were excited. But I think most anticipated from like draft day through their first training camp up to this point, I think you have to go back further than Matt Murray and Tristan Jari. I think you go back further than Jake Gensel because let's let's be honest, when Jake Gensel was drafted, when Brian Russ was drafted, was anybody saying, oh man, in a couple of years, exactly. this kid has the tools. This kid has the tools. The guys that went quickly from draft through the minors or whatever path they took through juniors and just continued to have that hot eye in the sky from Pittsburgh watching over them, I go back to Ole Mata. That's what I was about to say. Yeah. I go back to Ole Mata. He cracked the roster at the NHL level at 19 years old. And we all remember that season. He started at the NHL level and the Penguins had that 10 game buffer there where they could say, okay, you could still use his, his junior slide, but you can play him for 10 games to see what you have. Well, he blew past that 10 games. He continued to play until he played 78 games as a 19-year-old at the NHL level, scoring 29 points, including nine goals from a defenseman. The sky was the limit for him. I think it was a year and a half later, he was playing for the Finnish uh, Finnish team in in the Olympics, something like that. Played a couple of times in the Olympics, I think. He was definitely, to me, that's the name that stands out, is Ole Mata. But that's that's still 10 years ago. Yeah, and and honestly, Ole Mata could have really, um, can I type his name? There we go. Could have really <laughs> um, 
exploded into something uh, had he not been derailed by just so many awful things to start his career. Um, yeah. He had so much potential. Did he even play in Wilkes-Barre? It looks like he played three games in the playoffs yeah. for them. It's not, even, it's not even like he played um, in the system. He was drafted, finished off, I think, maybe even just one more season at the uh, OHL level with the London Knights, And which, by the way, that also adds on. The fact that he played for the London Knights adds on to his pedigree because, let's be honest, in the uh, junior hockey sphere, certain teams get extra pushes, but London Knights is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had the pedigree coming in, and he was ready to prove it right away. I mean, 29 points in that rookie season is huge, especially from a defenseman. Um, mm-hmm. It just really hurts that that next season was derailed uh, and was never able to really regain his footing. Kind of became a scapegoat for a little bit. Won two cups, yeah. though. He Won did. a pair of cups. And, listen, um, he's 10 years into an NHL career. Yeah. You, you can't take anything away from that. I mean, we, we just saw him last night yeah. with the Red Wings. I mean, he's a guy that is a – now he's, he's shifted to being a third-pairing guy. But, you know, the thought process was, especially after that first season at age 19, was – this guy could be a top four defenseman. This guy could be a top pairing defenseman in the National Hockey League. And it was that quick ascension that from draft day on, you just kept looking at him and were like, okay, this kid could be special. And it's funny because I think it goes hand in hand with the other player that was drafted in the first round the same year as Olimata. But uh, Derek Pouliot has certainly not had the same career that Mata has. No, certainly not. And it it also helps that Olimata gets this push because the Penguins just haven't had first round picks to look forward to. This is uh, true. That, and that's kind of another point of this discussion. If we can't come up with these highly touted, these highly anticipated names, because since Crosby was drafted, we've had seven, maybe, first-round picks. I mean, two of them came in this Olimata year, and we've only had three since Kasperi Kapanen. And we didn't, obviously didn't think too highly of him, considering we sent him out the door right away. Yeah. Uh so I'd say, yeah, Olimon is a good answer. It's just, it, it truly is, aside from Braden Yeager. I still would throw Matt Murray in there, but just for a late... Uh, yeah, late bloomer. Late, late bloomer stuff. Just kind of came on strong at the end of his pro- progression throughout the uh, the prospect system. Yeah, and I forget where he was drafted, and I forget what his, like, what his uh, journey looked like. But his late, his late blooming at the AHL level really... Sh- and he was still young, so that kind of helps that he was still a prospect. And goaltenders um, take a little longer, too. Yeah. Regardless. Yeah. So it was. So I'd say like obviously Jaeger is up there, probably the most anticipated we've had since Matt Murray, since Olimata, and then you really do dig all the way back to the Malk and Crosby years. Mm-hmm. So, not to immediately put some high standards on this kid. Yeah. No. I but mean, there's nobody that's immediately saying, "Hey, this is going to be a kid that's going to be a Hall of Fame type player," but. He certainly has the tools to come in and, and be a, a solid NHL guy, which is something that the Pittsburgh Penguins haven't had from a draft pick uh, really since, what, the 2017 Stanley Cup run when Jake Gensel came up? That's that's the last one I can think of, personally. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Daniel Sprong has become a decent NHL guy, but he's, he's a not journeyman. Here. Yeah, he's a journeyman, though. Like, it's not like he's an NHL guy that people are like, oh, we got to make sure we have him on our roster. He's a guy that everybody's like, eh. There's a hired gun for a season. He'll pot 10 to 15 and, and get our uh, goal scoring going a little bit. So uh, maybe that's what the Penguins need, somebody that can score goals in the bottom six. But hey, uh, the last name it? I want to mention uh, ha- had, a lot of, uh, had a lot of desire, had a lot of hopes coming to the NHL level. Uh, I thought there was a lot of hype around Bo Bennett. 
felt like there was a lot of hype around Bo Bennett, and it just <laughs> never materialized. Obviously, similar reasons to Mata. Mata was able to, to bounce through a lot of his injuries. Bo Bennett just was never able to be healthy. <laughs> I think, so I don't remember much. He was a first-round pick. That's interesting. Yes, he was. Um, that 2010 draft, if I'm not mistaken, was pretty solid for the Penguins. I think that was also when uh, Brian Rust was drafted. <laughs> so there's there's a little fun stuff for you. Oh, wow. Yeah. Bo Bennett, Brian Rust, Tom Kuhnockel, uh, and a bunch of guys that never made the league. Okay. So, yeah, I remember Bo Bennett. At least once he got to the NHL, it was all systems go. I don't remember much of the rise through the system. Uh, but once he got in, it was a good start. I thought he scored right away. I uh, didn't score until his fifth game, though. Mm-hmm. But went on a hot streak. That's what it was. From games 5 to 12, he had six points in eight games. So there was something there. But, again, those injuries piled up quickly. They uh, were not really... He was playing with Sidney Crosby. Maybe that was also the big push for him. Yeah, yeah, I, he played, he scored, what I think you're remembering is, and I think I'm remembering this correctly, if not, somebody can correct me in the uh, the comment section. He scored in his first playoff game in 2012-13. Yes, he did. Because they, they, they won, I think they won 5 to nothing or something against Columbus in that one. Oh, against the New York Islanders, 5 to nothing. Islanders. But he scored the first how goal. Did, how did I remember the score and not the team? Yeah, that's a good question. But he scored the first goal on the power play three minutes and 30 seconds into the game, assisted by Kenny Malkin and Paul Martin. Yeah, interesting, interesting looks back at the uh, the mid-2010s. For the that Pittsburgh series Penguins, was no. so much fun, though. This Islander it was, it, series. It, it, that was an interesting, interesting series. But uh, regardless, you know, Braden Yeager off to a great start at the WHL. Yes. That's what kicked all this conversation off. Be interesting to see after the season. I'm certainly excited to see, you know, hopefully the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton Penguins are better this year. They get into the playoffs. I can't wait to see Braden Yeager play for the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton Penguins in the playoffs if Moose Jaw does not advance the Memorial Cup playoffs. I can't wait to see him come up and get the opportunity to play at the AHL level with some of these guys like, uh, you know, Andreas Janssen. Hopefully Sam Poulin's not there anymore. Hopefully he's graduated (laughs) by then. But, you know, see him play with Sam Poulin once again. See him play. Just just see him play in a playoff atmosphere at the AHL level and see if he can make that jump to per- perhaps be a factor to potentially be at the Penguins organization next season. We'll see. Uh, obviously, this is the best prospect the Penguins have had as far as caliber of player in a very long time, not to take anything away from Sam Poulin. But, you know, it certainly seems like his progression is continued continuing to accelerate where many others have kind of taken their time to get to the NHL level. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.